0: The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news?
1: I don't like either
2: one of those options. Your words are super wise, man.
0: You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet.
2: You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do.
3: You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio.
2: What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff.
0: You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about?
4: You make my afternoon really fun.
3: Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs>
0: Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray.
2: Struggling to get through the program right now. Moving into an in-body experience. I feel like I'm trapped inside my body, looking out through my eyes, seeing all around me. Weird, weird sensation. Do my very best. This is the Doctor's In and the Variant Look Back Friday. Several calls up there that we have had in previous shows. Play that call, edited capably by Andrew Kruczek, my producer man, over there in Ann Arbor. And then I will add things I wanted to say during the call but couldn't because we ran out of time or something that would have been a tangential journey. And I can do it now. As the call is played, I make little notes about something that I'd like to speak to, if I may. And, of course, I may because it's my show. So we'll get to that momentarily. My wife directed me to something, a podcast, called The Exorcism Files. This is a podcast that is... Various dramatizations of an exorcist, long-time experienced exorcist named Carlos Martin, who kept notes, of course, on these experiences, and they're from, from his files. And in between this is a lot of instruction from the catechism, from church teaching. Very, very hard-hitting, very powerful And at one point, Father Martin talked about his own atheistic views as a teenager and as a young adult. One of his objections to God was, why isn't he better, or or why isn't he more willing, is probably the better way to put it, to reveal himself? If he wants to have a relationship with us, show us. Let us know in no uncertain terms you're there. That was his objection. I got to thinking about that when I heard that. Obviously, in chapter, uh, I think, one of Romans, the letter to the Romans, St. Paul talks about hey, he revealed himself, look around you. You see beauty, you see incredible order. Now, that's not good enough for most people who, who say, I'm not really sure about this God question, because they would say, well, you know, given as old as the universe is, 13.8 billion years is the estimate, a lot of things could have happened, and we're one infinitely small speck in an incomprehensibly vast known universe, I mean, we don't even know what's beyond what we know. So that doesn't mean anything to them. And I got to thinking, he has revealed himself. But he's revealed himself in such a way that you have to look. See, I think Father Martin, when he was back in his atheist days, was saying, reveal yourself in a way that I don't have to search. You're showing yourself the way I want you to do it, right? We're telling God, do it this way, or you don't exist. He's shown himself, for example, in looking at the life of Christ and saying there's a lot of unanswered questions here on how Christianity got started if this guy wasn't God. You have to look at the most likely explanations for what went on in the life of this person. And nobody, nobody of historical expertise denies that Christ existed. The question was, who was he? And you look at that, you search it, which is what I did when I came back to the Catholic Church. But there's more. Most people especially those outside of Catholic Christianity, don't know anything about the incorruptibles. They don't know anything about these saints that have been basically kept in the state in which they died. They didn't decay. Some of them are over 100 years or more. Okay, explain that one. Oh, I suppose you could you could look for some kind of natural explanation but it's really hard every everything we know about human bodies is they decay especially when they haven't been modern embalmed what about for example eucharistic miracles if you dig into some of these eucharistic miracles they are virtually impossible to explain scientifically they cannot be explained Oh, but we don't know if what they're saying about him is true. Well, look at the evidence. You decide whether they're true or not. The tilma, the tilma of Guadalupe, why does that thing still exist? After 500 years, a grass cloth? What? How can that still exist? It should have rotted away so long ago. What is the explanation for that? The shroud. The shroud that supposedly was Christ's burial cloth. It has been examined up one side and down the other with every modern technological technique we have, and they can't explain it. No known explanation. But you see, everybody that I've ever talked to who says, Well, you know, uh, if there was was evidence for God, I guess I'd I'd consider it. They haven't looked. Anybody who says there's no evidence, I just want to look at them and say, have you looked? Have you searched? What about the apparitions? What about Fatima? 70,000 people supposedly Saw the sun dance. It was reported in the secular media. Now, basically, what you have to do is you have to explain away every single one of these things. I obviously cannot fathom God, but it makes sense to me that He would want our cooperation, He would want us to look for Him. He wouldn't make it so blatant that we would have no choice. But even at that, even at that, we would get to a point where we question. I have no doubt that many of you out there have had a God moment where you thought, truly, God, Jesus has shown me something This can't be anything else. And then, six months later, you're thinking, well, uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose it may be coincidence or something like that. Even if, for example, God would appear to someone, heart of heart, they would wonder, am I dreaming? Did I hallucinate? How can I trust my senses? I don't know. Remember when the religious leaders said to Jesus, give us a sign. He said, even if someone were to rise from the dead, you wouldn't believe. He's making his case. Basically, not enough to make somebody believe who doesn't want to believe. So when somebody says, well, why doesn't he reveal himself? If he's God and he wants us to have a relationship with him, why doesn't he touch us? Well, he has, in a whole bunch of ways. Things like post-death experiences. People who have been, for example, blind all their lives. All their lives. They've never seen. They were born blind. And then they were in a situation where they were declared dead. And they described Things in their environment quite clearly how did they do that how did that happen did their did their soul show them all this if you look into post-death kinds of experiences and there's a lot of them and they've been looked at from a scientific perspective they're hard to explain some of them what the people knew and and reported Not the bright light and not I saw this, but actually the ability to say, well, what you lost was in that drawer over there because I saw you put it in when I was completely unconscious. God does reveal himself, but he does it in such a way that he wants us to look for him. And if you look, there's a lot of evidence. I'm Dr. Ray.
3: The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as
5: scarlet,
3: oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be
5: made white as snow. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.
2: Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Grandy here, at program, doctor is in. Variant Look Back Friday, so let's take our first look back call, anonymous female. She is asserting that her husband is exhibiting signs. And notice I didn't say has, because a lot of people say has ADHD, like it's, like it's something that he possesses. He's exhibiting signs of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Now, who, who diagnosed your husband?
3: Uh, he was diagnosed as a, uh, like a five or six year old, really,
2: really young. That would have been my first question because uh, typically eight, well, not typically ADHD is a developmental problem. So it's Mm -hmm. usually seen in childhood. It's not, not often diagnosed when someone's 32 years of age. And then you start to think, oh, okay, now he has attention problems or he has impulse problems or has distractibility problems. Okay, you've been married how long? Ten years. Have you noticed uh, what you would call the picture for these whole ten years?
3: Well, I always knew he had a problem concentrating on things. He'd start a project and then not be able to finish it. Um, But it has really became a big problem since we um, had our first child. And he's just noticing it at a more heightened stage, I guess. And he calls it uh, he, he's equating it to a disability. Well and now, I'm just how a hard how would you think that,
2: that how would you think that a child would would manifest ADHD more prominently in your husband? What what is he doing differently?
3: He's much more irritable that's not adhd
2: that's not adhd that's irritable
3: okay uh when our son cries he has to like leave the room or he has a, a a very explosive reaction
2: that's not adhd either okay here's what happens a lot okay when somebody has a diagnosis it's very tempting to to use that diagnosis to explain everything I don't like to hear a baby cry, I erupt, therefore it's ADHD. I start a project and I don't finish it, therefore it's ADHD. It may be other things, rather than the ADHD, I mean obviously he could get on medication for it, I don't know how much that would help, I can't say, but it sounds like there's been changes in your life that he gets more frustrated about. Mm-hmm. Now someone might say, "Well, that's it, Dr. Ray. That's what happens when when you have ADHD and there are frustrations, it gets worse. It exacerbates." But it doesn't sound like what you're describing. It does
3: he work for a living? He does. He works from home primarily.
2: And he he gets his responsibilities done?
3: He has a hard time concentrating. Uh his work is very stressful. And it's been pretty demanding this last couple of years. Uh, actually, right when our son came around as well.
2: Prior to so, the last couple years, when it's been stressful, was he reasonably competent in doing it? Yes. So you always look for the more proximate explanation. In other words, if in fact. He was diagnosed with ADHD when he was five. And again, we cannot know the reliability of this diagnosis. Okay. You can't. Mm -hmm. I've seen so many kids overdiagnosed, so we don't know. Yeah. Might have been immaturity. Might have been a learning problem. Might have been a behavior problem misdiagnosed. Might have been something that, that he just kind of struggled to develop along. It could have been that in fact he was more distractible than a kid his age but he wasn't so extremely distractible that he would legitimately have earned that label what's happening is a lot of kids are getting the ADHD label who are in fact a little more distractible than kids their age or mental age but they're not so distractible that they really deserve the label I mean that typically it's the bottom three percent of kids so when you got somebody who maybe is The bottom 15%, more of those are getting the diagnosis. So we don't know. But the danger, it seems, is for your husband to fall back on that and say, well, you can't expect me to not erupt when I hear our son cry, or you can't expect me to do my work well because I've been diagnosed with ADHD when I was five. Is that what's
3: happening? Well, he says when our when our toddler now has an emotional meltdown, which he screams or, you know, falls on the floor, his response to that is to yell back at our toddler. And I said, you can't do that. He's he's two. He's not able to control. Well, that's not ADHD. Emotions.
2: That's frustration tolerance.
3: Yeah. But he said that the way, the way that my son screams causes a ringing effect in his ear that he, he just hates the sound of kids crying like he has a a, a physical reaction to it like it, it, it causes him to get you know like a nerve like he yeah does he want and to so do something about that of it? does he want to do something about that i want him to do something about it
2: does he <laughs> or does I don't his, think it's healthy or his view is yes, well he that's does. just that's just what happens and i can't do anything
3: about it no he does want to do something about it he just okay. feels like he's crippled by this Well, now See that's a strong word. See there it is! I knew it!
2: Crippled by ADHD. May not have anything at all to do with ADHD. It may just happen to be that he just doesn't like, he hates hearing the sound of a kid cry. Like Bill Cosby said, it sends a shot up your spine. Okay, can he leave the room? Can he put earplugs in? Can he calm himself down? Can he take some breaths? Somehow some way he's got to decide he wants to get better at this with the outpouring of psychological diagnoses and they've exploded not only in the diagnostic and statistical manual that is the quasi bible of mental health professionals who make diagnoses uh, they've gotten more and more and more and more and they've taken in more and more human behavior as a diagnosis the byproduct of that has been the explanatory factor. My behavior can be traced back to this diagnosis, and it pervades pretty much everything I do. So here you have a guy that says, well, this, this, this crying just gets to me, now, one might say, well, Dr. Ray, you know, this is, this is a physiological response. I mean, if he's getting a ringing in his ears, that's not normal. Perhaps. A couple of questions could be asked about that. One, um, they need to explore the ringing. What exactly does that mean? And, and two, um, even even if. And, okay, here's my question. Why does it only happen when the kid cries? Why doesn't it happen with other things? Why doesn't it happen with ugly ugly sounds? So if he's reacting to the behavior of a little kid, and apparently this was there from the beginning when the little infant cried, and (laughs) there's been a lot of theorizing that says God put that kind of cry in little infants to drive parents to do something to stop it and hopefully stop it in a good way. Because that's a cry of distress for little kids. And it's not a pleasant thing. Who likes it? <laughs> that, that's, that's a very disturbing sound. And perhaps this guy is just not used to this. And he's saying, I don't like it. It drives me crazy. All right. Then it drives him crazy. So what is he going to do? Is he going to deep breathe? Is he going to calm himself down? Is he going to leave the room? Is he going to plug up his ears with his fingers or something else? What What is he going to do? To say that, well, something is wrong with me and the most likely explanation is my diagnosis of ADHD, which predominantly is an impulse control problem, It it, I think it's distracts it it keeps him from looking at what he needs to do about these particular stimulations that get to him if he was diagnosed at age five there's probably a pretty good chance uh that he was maybe developmentally distractible, uh, perhaps some adjustment problems, behavior problems, some learning disabilities. I mean, this stuff all kind of mixes together. So for whatever the reason, if he had a harder time growing up, then you would expect that as an adult, he might have a harder time coping with stress. So what will he do? She said he was better at managing his job, but then when the child came, he wasn't so good. The child was an added responsibility. He sees it as a stress that is affecting his ability, which he can work on. And you heard the frustration in his wife's voice. It's like, wait a minute, come on. He you, you, you gotta you gotta you gotta work on this. You're, 30 some years old.
3: Catholic
1: connection with Teresa Tomio. We now use media and this is adults 18 and over, 11 to 12 hours a day. But if we're all connected during the day at work, shouldn't we be taking a break when we get home, when we're with our families, when we're having dinner to back away from the cell phone, back away from the TV, back away from the laptop, put it down, silence ourselves, and have real, as the Holy Father says, authentic encounters, sitting down for a meal, media-free. How about more family time, playing some board games, coloring with your kids, going for a walk, doing the rosary with them, backing away from the media. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays,
3: 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio.
1: How does God's method of governing provide a role model for human governors? God is a delegator. He has not, the Catholic Catechism points out, willed to reserve to himself all exercise of power. He entrusts to every creature the functions it is capable of performing according to the capacity of its own nature. God displays great regard for human freedom. Inspired by God, human governors should behave as instruments of divine providence and practice the principle of subsidiarity, which ordains that a community of a higher order should not interfere in the internal life of a community of a lower order, depriving the latter of its functions. The Catechism stresses that the principle of subsidiarity sets limits on state intervention. The collective ends of society can never justify using means that trample individual rights. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: And somebody said that one of the reasons for this Look Back Friday thing is that I get a chance to redeem myself which is if I offered unworkable or shallow ideas, education suggestions for someone, then I can uh, I can pick up the pieces. I hope that's not the only reason, but this is look back Friday. I better get to another call quick because let's see what we got here. Well let's 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 keep with the same theme. got a caller from Ohio sister is a narcissist.
4: I have a family member. I was just evicted on February 28th from my baby sister who, um, it's, it's a nightmare situation. But anyway, you know, God is good and God is providing for me. But she has um, clinical textbook um, NPD and uh, it's biggest heartbreak of my entire life. And um, she has the malignant covert type so she will be, uh, and
2: uh, Gabe, who diagnosed her with that?
4: Well, um, two therapists that I spoke to, two separate ones, um, told me, you know, that she did. And, um, I know from all the things that I've been studying for the last two years, I'm getting a, you know, like a kind of like a underground masters in narcissism. I've been studying this stuff, but, um, you know, she, she has no empathy And she blames me for everything. I'm like her second mother, literally. Well, how many, Gabe? How many
2: years has this been going on?
4: We lived together in 2018, but I experienced it firsthand when my dad, I had to emergency evacuate to her house in um, 2014. So that's when I first experienced it. And then when we lived together, I was I was very ill. I have advanced heavy metal poisoning, and I was trying to leave the planet a number of years back. But praise God, that didn't happen. And I'm very, I will never do that again. But I do have heavy metal poisoning, and it did—it was affecting my mind. Anyway, she would say the most inexorable, unconscionable things to me. And, you know, she would tell me that I was mentally ill. I mean, these are the nicer things because I buy books. Mind you, I was in two book clubs since I was seven years old. This is nothing new under the sun. You know, and she was basically constantly projecting her own self-hatred onto me. And, okay,
2: Gabe, I got a question for you. How many years of this do you have to experience of it before it loses its power to get to you?
4: Okay, listen to me. Um, I am working diligently. I just got evicted on February 28th from my own home. and I. How could you get evicted day. from your own home? When I was sick, I allowed her to put the title in her name. Oh. So it was bulk our money from a house that her oh. pa- parents had. So it's her I home, and she no, sees it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's like I told her. I said we need to get this rectified when we were living together.
2: Okay, well, bring and, me, Gay, bring me up to date here. What right now is the struggle for you?
4: Okay, here's the thing. I talked to my therapist yesterday, and she was basically saying because Marisa texted me that she loved me. We we talk very. I talked through her fiance basically, and um. And she said that she loved me, and I told her I loved her, too, very much. And she and my therapist commented that I was, you know, feeding the monster. I said, no, I am not feeding the monster.
2: Okay, Gabe, yes. hold on. i got to interrupt you, dear. i got to interrupt okay. you. Mm-hmm. You have a therapist. So my cardinal rule, and I think an ethical rule, is I can't say a word oh. regar- regarding anything of my thoughts because you're already seeing a professional who knows you close to infinitely better than I do.
4: Well, I was just trying to get a second opinion on what I said. See, I can't do that. Oh, all right, well.
2: But here's (laughs) what I can say. Okay. When you have someone who is incredibly difficult, Mm -hmm. you can put a diagnosis on them. You can say narcissistic personality disorder, covert type, whichever whatever that means. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: So you can do
4: that, but it doesn't help you. Well, the thing, I, the, thing I, the way I see it is nothing is impossible for God. Even though I'm circumspect about her, her personality and the grave level of difficulty that's at hand, the way I see it, I'm not going to stop being who I am. I'm not going to stop being loving. And if it feeds the monster, then I'm just going to have a sense of detachment because, you know what, it's in God's hands, Dr. Ray. So what you you're know? saying
2: is that you don't necessarily agree with what your therapist told you
4: no i see something more transcendent and beyond that you know i i just do you know and i because i pray constantly about this it's not like you know and i i am getting a forest and tree view viewpoint of it but it's in god's hands you know it's like it's does in your therapist
2: so, respect that
4: yeah i th- I think she did i mean we had okay. to go when when i was telling her this part but i'm gonna I'm going to hammer it out with her again next Monday I think that's wise
2: I think-, I think you need to talk with your therapist and say given given what she's telling you to do uh, here is the perspective you're coming from right and and ask her to tell you why why that's wrong why that won't work uh, okay. in her well- opinion okay I can't comment on the specifics of what she's dealing with with her sister However, she raised an interesting thing that happens a lot. It happens in medicine. Happens in psychology. I'll use this illustration. Some years ago, okay, some decades ago, I was at a mental health center, and I was uh, hired as a consultant about the same time another young, younger than me, uh, I think she was a counseling psychologist. Was hired. Her specialty area, as she shared with us during a staff meeting, was multiple personality in children. Somebody asked her, "How many multiple personalities have you seen?" And I, she gave some tremendous number. Yeah, some huge number. I didn't challenge her. Not the place. But I remember thinking, I've been working now, I think at that time I'd been a psychologist for about uh, 10 years. I remember thinking, I've worked with an awful lot of very experienced psychologists. And I don't know any of them that have seen even one multiple personality disorder. And she's seen multiple of them, if you will. Which brings up the point, you tend to find what you look for. You heard our caller, she was saying, well, I've, I've done a lot of studying in this, and I've really done a lot of reading in this, and, uh, and I've, I've realized that, that that's what she is. Now, it is, it is easy to be influenced by what you're looking for. She was obviously looking for some explanation for her sister who has hurt her many times. So she looked at her sister's self-centeredness, her sister's lack of empathy, her sister's uh, emotional cruelty, if you will. And she said, I got, I got to find out what's going on here. So she started reading. And as you read, you read about personality disorders. One thing about personality traits is that they're, they're vague. They're broad, self-centered. Now, how do you actually operationally define that? But if you look at it, you say, that, that, that fits. That fits. What then tends to happen is you, quote, unquote, make a lay person's And you've got, voila your explanation well the fact of the matter is that her sister is doing these things and uh, she doesn't have a full explanation for him and the label doesn't give an explanation for him label just summarizes them. i'm gonna talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break
6: the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who are suffering with Parkinson's disease. Lord Jesus Christ, consolation of the afflicted, you are our refuge. We pray for those who are suffering the effects of Parkinson's disease. As they lose their physical strength and abilities, increase their spiritual strength and abilities. Renew their inner spirit day after day, and through their share in your sufferings, give the grace of conversion to sinners, and their weakness reveal your strength. Give peace and joy to those who care for them. Amen.
0: The idea that the United States of America should now be a nation in high-handed rebellion against God makes me choke. I mean, there are some people who seem to think that the problem in America is simply between conservatives and liberals, between Democrats and Republicans. But these group distinctions are not the most important distinction. The real division is between those who are being drawn to Christ and those who are fleeing him. All humans are created in the image of God and we are made for a loving relationship with our Creator. Any human being will never find their full fulfillment apart from God. And those of us who are united to Christ by faith and baptism in His mission of redemption owe everyone we meet the love and consideration that helps draw them closer to their eternal lover. Cresta in the
5: Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
3: The doctor will see you now. Training
2: 16-inch psychological guns on the lifetime struggles. It's kind kind of a rough image, isn't it? I think I'm still allowed to do it, though. Previous caller talked about how her sister had a long history of hurting her. And she shared that her sister was very difficult to deal with, kind of caught up in herself, concerned with her own emotions, her own behavior patterns, to the neglect of her sister. And she dove into uh, reading about this, and she said, I've studied this. And she decided that, you know, her sister, along with a couple of diagnoses from therapists, had narcissistic personality disorder, and I'll give you a little primer here on personality disorder. This is the definition, standard definition. This comes from Cleveland Clinic. A personality disorder is a mental health condition. Now, right there, okay, the, the, saying mental health implies, all right, this is this is kind of a, an affliction, right? When you think mental health. You don't think, uh, well, okay, this is a person who has a whole bunch of behaviors and emotions that don't work well across a wide variety of situations. No, mental health already sets the tone. All right. That involves long-standing, all-encompassing, disruptive patterns. Now, see, that's, that's pretty serious. But what is happening is that an awful lot of people are getting diagnosed with these personality disorders and... Yeah, okay, they, they got some of the signs and symptoms, and and they, yeah, they, they, they do do this with some consistency, but it says here, long-lasting, all-encompassing, disruptive patterns of thinking, behavior, mood, and relating to others. Now, that's pretty broad. goes on. These patterns cause a person significant distress not sure how much the woman who's diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder has significantly distressed because a lot of times they they don't think there's anything wrong with what they're doing and or impair the ability to function now let me just read to you the diagnosable personality disorders paranoid personality disorder Schizoid Personality Disorder. Schizotypal Personality Disorder. Antisocial Personality Disorder. Borderline Personality Disorder. histrionic personality disorder. narcissistic personality disorder. avoidant personality disorder. dependent personality disorder. obsessive compulsive personality disorder. That's a lot. And that describes those, those are summary labels for long standing patterns of behavior that fall underneath those particular names. They say nothing about how the person got that way. You know, if you see somebody's diabetic, you can offer an etiology. You can say, well, he's 80 pounds overweight. This is what's happening physiologically. This is what's happening in his body. And the treatment is this. Well, with the personality disorders, you really don't know how they got that way. You can explore it, and you can put together a picture and say, all right, here's some of the stuff that I think entered into this person being the way they are. But you still have to deal with the conduct, the emotions, the patterns. You still have to deal with it. So our caller who essentially said, my sister is this way, and that translates into the way she treats me. I sensed in between the lines of our caller that she had some relief in being able to say, my sister suffers from this diagnosis. So therefore, that mitigates me. In the sense that I I I didn't do as much wrong. It's my sister. Now that is a danger. I'm working on a book right now. That is a danger. If you call somebody narcissist, you're basically saying that they got a problem. They got a range of problems. Therefore, I'm not sure how much I have to look at myself to see if any of their conduct is related to. To my conduct see a narcissist has to be that way across the board with everybody not just with me or two people close to him at work he's not a narcissist at all matter of fact he's very easy to get along with matter of fact he's very competent matter of fact he's got decent relations with the people he supervises but at home or with his mother Or with a couple of people close in his life or a friend, he really looks like a narcissist. Now, wait a minute. A narcissist is that way across the board. That's his pattern. That's his style. That's that's how he interacts with people of all types. So these are just some things to consider. I know you're probably shocked when I read all those personality disorders. You're like, what? Yeah, because it covers a lot. Histrionic, over-emotional, overreactive, neurotic kind of insecurities. We all know people like that. You want to call them histrionic, go ahead. I didn't tell you anything. Maybe it makes you feel like I understand it more, but you really don't. You just kind of labeled it. That's that's always the complication with personality disorders. And one other thing about this personality disorder thing traits are vague traits are broad traits can fit a lot of people under a lot of circumstances they don't have a high reliability quotient now when you make a diagnosis there's two things i don't want to get too much into the weeds here validity which is the actual accuracy of that diagnosis, and reliability. How many clinicians would agree that that's the diagnosis? And the personality disorders don't have a real high reliability quotient. Schizophrenia does. Schizophrenia has some very particular symptoms that most clinicians are going to agree upon. But you start talking about avoidant personality disorder, okay, maybe not all clinicians are going to think it's significant enough. Just some thoughts.
5: I'm Dr. Ray. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi,
2: everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plan, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. I'll tell you this. Two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org.
5: Have you found your passion in life? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. The late Betty White once said, quote, Everybody needs a passion. That's what keeps life interesting. If you live without passion, you can go throughout life without leaving any footprints. Do you have a passion? Finding your passion is often a real challenge. My wife's passion is sewing. When she sews, time just flies. If you haven't discovered your passion, pray. And then write down a few things in a journal. Create a personal vision statement. List your strengths, weaknesses, and charisms. Enhance that list with things you love to do. List the things you don't love. Write your own values. Pray and dream about what your passion is with Christ at the center. Listen for answers, then try something. Serve. Just do it. Are you dreaming big about finding your thing? God loves big dreams. He's a big God. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Thanks for joining me. It's Dr. Ray Garendi. Program
2: Doctor is in... Monday Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. This is the variant, the Friday variant. Look back Friday. To continue a little bit about the personality disorder primer here, let me take one dependent personality disorder. This is uh, from the Cleveland Clinic. This condition is marked by a constant and excessive need to be cared for by someone else. All right, constant and excessive. That seems explanatory but what exactly is excessive okay got to make a judgment this is a judgment call right it also involves submissiveness another trait a need for constant reassurance and the inability to make decisions inability to make all decisions some decisions people with in people with dependent personality disorder often become often become very close to another person and spend great effort trying to please that person. Now, you see the descriptions. By their very nature, they're squishy. By their very nature, they invite judgment. By their very nature, they deal with qualifications and traits. I'm not saying that's bad, per se. I'm just saying it makes it a lot harder to look at something like this and then say, "Oh, yeah, that's that's clearly a dependent personality disorder." Now, go a little further here. This is this is this is fascinating. Now, keep in mind, this is Cleveland Clinic, the number 1 heart hospital in the nation and high on many other conditions. Anyone can have a personality disorder but different types of personality disorders affect people differently all right now that even broadens it out further most personality disorders begin in the teen years when your personality further develops and matures all right so these are certain characteristics that someone might have earlier in life. Okay, that 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 is uh, it relates to temperament and early experiences. As a result, almost all people diagnosed with personality disorders are above the age of 18. One exception to this is antisocial personality. Approximately 80% of those with this disorder will have started to show symptoms by age 11 yeah conduct disorder among kids and even earlier oppositional defiant disorder among kids so given that yeah you you see that happen all right now let me get to what i think is one of the more significant parts of this oh, where we are here oh come on come on come on come on where did i lose i got a call i got a call right during this uh looking at this and and it just uh okay it. all right here we go Mm, find it find it find it somebody called and what it did is it knocked this out of where i was where i was headed with this now i've got to go all the way back and find it so let me stall because i think this is this is particularly significant especially coming from the status of the medical the medical community that it comes from. Um, they talk about the differences in personality disorders. Here we go, found it. Uh, I'll go a little further here. Antisocial personality disorders, pay attention are more likely to affect people assigned male at birth. Antisocial personality disorders are more likely, now I would say more likely to affect males. They say more likely to affect people assigned male at birth. In other words, at birth... Somebody decided to assign this person male. wasn't based upon genitalia. wasn't based upon XX or XY chromosomes in approximately thirty-seven trillion cells. No, no, no. It was somebody assigning this, which means, of course, they could have been wrong. This isn't really a male. Borderline, histrionic, and dependent personality disorders are more likely to affect people assigned female at birth. Once again, assigned. Not male, not female. It's open. This is what happened at birth. They were assigned this. Had nothing to do with what we know about genetics. Had nothing to do with what we know about genitalia. It was outside of the individual. A doctor. Presumably. Assigned sexuality to this person it it could have been wrong it could have been the wrong sexuality now the argument is well in fact the person at some point in their life may just decide that that's not what I am that is the controversy right now but I find it fascinating the Cleveland Clinic medical people of the highest stature felt that they needed to put it in that language. Got to run. And I do appreciate your company here on The Doctor Is In on Look Back Friday, good Lord permitting, on Monday. We will have E-Person Monday, where I will attempt to catch up on the E-Persons. Again, watching my language, watching my language. Catch up on the E-Persons that come in from all you dear folks, a lot of times from the TV show, a lot of times from the radio show. And when I say to the folks, can you call the radio show? They write back and say, what radio show? (laughs) So obviously they saw TV, but they don't know anything about the radio show. So given that, we'll try to take a few of those on Monday. Thanks for your company. Walk with God. Hold him
0: tightly by his metaphorical. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit dra.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.